Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So today I want to talk about dog vomit and pig slop. Are are you with me? Let me say it again because that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, folks. Dog vomit and pig slop. Now we're going somewhere with this today, so let's turn to Proverbs chapter 26 and just stick with me, hang with me a little bit because as we go through this, I think it's going to shift some thinking for you because I know it did for me and I hope I can convey that in such a way that it brings a change to your paradigm as well. Proverbs 26 verse 11, some of you might be familiar with this, it says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Let's read it again together. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Now, I remember when I first read this proverb, we had this thing in our family growing up where we would have to read or do a devotion every day. I grew up in a a Christian home. And so every day we'd read a proverb. It was called the proverb of the day. How many know there's 31 proverbs? And so you had one for every day. It just worked out perfectly. So we would have to read this proverb of the day, if it was the 15th, you read Proverbs 15, if it was the 17th, you follow? And so we would read this, but then we would have to have like some type of written or oral reason or something that we learned or gleaned from that that day. And I remember when I first read this, as a dog returns to his vomit, I thought, cool, the Bible says dog vomit. And I was thinking, how can I turn this into this this oral presentation of what I learned that was very spiritual for my life and somehow put dog vomit in there and not get in trouble. Well, I didn't do that because I knew I would have gotten in trouble somehow, some way. But, you know, as an 8, 9, 10-year-old, you think, dog vomit, that is so cool. That's what I love about the Bible. If we, if we go to the Bible in a 21st century mode, we don't glean everything that's there. When you read the Old Testament to even study history of where Babylon was and Egypt and Israel, look at maps, kind of dig it out a little bit, you start to see things differently because it's people who were inspired, but they were inspired at a level of revelation of where they were at that time. And so they might have seen God in a certain way. And if if you aren't familiar with this, the Old Testament itself is not in chronological order. So if you look at those books and you read them in chronological order, what you'll see is you'll see this process of mind change about who God was until we arrive at Jesus. And Jesus came to show us the truth of who the Father was. And so that's what I love about Scripture when you can understand. If you go to the New Testament, you need to go to this mentality of a first century Jew. And so when we do that, things just open and explode, and it's just so much different. Explode and vomit. Those go together well, don't they? So as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Now, folly is pretty much what we think in the dictionary. It means the state or quality of being foolish, stupidity or rashness. It means a foolish action, mistake or idea. But look at this. If you ever read a definition and went down further and you're like, there's more to this. Listen to this. Here's a definition of folly. A building in the form of a castle temple, etc., built to satisfy a fancy or conceit. Now listen to this definition. This is big. I even put this on the screen for you. A costly ornamental building with no practical purpose. Did you catch that? A costly ornamental building 
with no practical purpose, especially a tower or mock Gothic ruin built in a large garden or park. Now, if we look back to about the 12th century, this word, it's foley, comes from French, and it means folly, madness, or stupidity. And it says this, it's the sense of a costly structure considered to have shown folly in the builder. In other words, folly can mean a costly ornamental structure with no practical purpose. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. See, we do this in religious communities. We do this in political systems. We do this in tribes and people groups. Do you follow me? We build these structures. For some reason, whether it's the religious church system or it's politics or it's the social system, we've made these boxes and borders and said, if you don't fit within my paradigm, if you don't fit within my box, I can't be a friend to you. And I said it last week that anybody who says agreement is necessary for friendship, they're not your friend. Friends can agree to disagree. We can agree to disagree on things. And I think the church really has to work on this. You know, I have brothers and and sisters in Christ who we don't believe exact theology the same way, but I love them and I care for them and we're in different places and none of us have it all together. We don't know it all. And so we have to be open to this idea. But see, again, in religious communities, in political systems, in these social tribes and people groups, we do this. We build these structures. And the sad thing is many who would call themselves believers in the way of Jesus, they go back to creating these monuments and ornamental structures. It's a sad thing. I'm talking to myself because I've really had to change my thought process on uh, even my theology. What, theology is just what you think about God. And so I've had to change my theology and, and be open to seeing things differently. And so as we do that, you know, I see that the kingdom, Jesus said that it would be ever expanding and growing. I think we need to be ever expanding and growing as well. We can't stop and make a monument and say, okay, we finally arrived. That's a problem with denominations. We all think we've arrived, right? I've been there. I've preached those messages. But the thing is, we're, we're all growing in revelation, and, and we should be on a journey to where when we look back one, two, five, ten years, we're not the same person we used to be. If not, there's something wrong. How many have children here? If your children got stuck at a certain age, the doctors would say, something's not quite right. How old are they? 18. They look four. Something's not right. But in the church, we're like, this is a good thing. We've arrived. Maybe you haven't. Maybe I haven't. Maybe we're all growing in levels of revelation and we need to be open to that. Is that that okay to say? And I'm not saying that we go somewhere other than Jesus. I'm just saying maybe there's more to this than we think. Now, when we look at the word fool, it actually, in the Hebrew, this word fool is the word kasil. And it means stupid fellow or simpleton. Really sweet words, right? But here's another definition of this word kasil in the Hebrew. It's arrogant one. Now think about that. Arrogant one. Returning to those, those structures and those things we've made and being arrogant about it, saying, I refuse to change. So here's how we could take this verse. This is the ABV version. That's the Andrew Baranczyk version. We could say it like this. As a dog returns to his vomit, 
So an arrogant one returns to his costly ornamental building with no practical purpose, but built to satisfy a fancy or conceit. I know, we're being pretty open today, right? All of us need to think about what do we believe? Why do we believe it? See, we build these structures to feel good about ourselves. I mean, it's really what it comes down to. If I can build a structure that I can fit within, it makes me feel better about myself. It's a sense of superiority over others. But that's not what Jesus came to bring. In fact, if Jesus were to show back up on this planet today just to hang out like at church service, I think he'd go, well, wait, wait a minute, let me, let me get this straight. You started a religion in my name? Seriously, that's what you thought I came to do? Listen, we had enough religion, folks. I came to restore a relationship that you had lost. And it's not because God pulled away. It's because we did. We no longer knew who we were. That's why we do crazy stuff. When you know your identity, you know the blueprint for your life. And, you know, it's a journey. It's a process of learning. But when we understand that, we won't do the crazy things. So Jesus came to reintroduce ourselves to ourselves and say, now, this is who you are. The Apostle Paul, he says on Mars Hill that we are all the offspring of God. In him we live and move and have our being. Will you awaken to this? And the Greeks are like, what? Just Paul had such a way, he was so, so versed and educated and he knew Greek and he understood Hebrew and he, he knew how to say things to different people. You know, when in Rome, you ever heard that term? Well, when he was in Rome, he could talk to the Romans. When he was in Judea, he could talk to these Jews. When he was in Greece, he could talk to the Greeks. He understood how to convey God to everybody. And I think we could learn a lesson from that. But as we look at this, I'm thinking that when we walk in divine love, this is key, when we walk in divine love, we build up people, not structures. We're in the people building business. If you read through the life of, of Jesus, he was always building people up. He was restoring. He was healing. He was bringing them in the relationship. We talked a few weeks about, ago about Zacchaeus. I mean, this man, he was a thief. He was despised by his own people. But one meeting with Jesus changed everything. And all of a sudden, it said he stood up and said, Lord, half of all my wealth I will give to the poor. This was a man who operated according to a greedy world system. He says, I'll give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I've ever stolen anything, if I've charged more taxes than I should have, I'll give them that back four times. How did he change? I believe Jesus showed him his true identity. And so this is what Jesus is in the business of showing us who we truly are. So we walk in divine love when we build people up, not structures. So what we need to do, I think, for a lot of us is we need to run our actions, our, our thoughts, and our ideas through the lens of Jesus. We need to run our actions, our thoughts, and what we, what we do and say in those ideas through the lens of the good news, the gospel. And sometimes when we do this, now listen closely, when we do this, we might go, ew, kind of smells like vomit. Maybe I've returned back to something. See, I prayed my prayer. I got my ticket to heaven. You know, I'm good to go. But now I'm returning back to that political system. I'm returning back to that social system. 
I'm returning back to a religious system. But an arrogant one is one who does that. Now, now I don't preach down to people. Do I need to get down here so you don't feel preached down to? When I see this stuff, when I study this stuff, I see myself in this and I see areas of my life where I'm like, wow, maybe I am talking down to people. Maybe I am returning to an old idea. I mean, Jesus has radically shifted my thought process and what I believe in the last two years. Just ask my wife. He's like, what do you believe anymore, right? I'm like, well, I'm trying to believe the gospel, but I'm realizing that the gospel is something different than what I've been even preaching or what I've heard for a lot of years. Now, there's a lot of good things. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think the beauty of each denomination as it grows is just a, it's, it's a new revelation that we see, and so we grab onto the good in that, and then we take it with us on the journey. Do you follow me? Because we don't just throw it all out. I love the foundation that I had here at Faith City Church when Dr. Carl and Mrs. B were here. There's so many great things I learned. But what do we do? We continue to grow in the process and see more, and then we do more for the kingdom. And I think we're really coming in this place where we discovered how good grace was, at least the tip of the iceberg, right? And we're still learning. But then it shifts us into this kingdom mode where even we will change our thinking about culture about our politics, about our ideas, about this idea of us in them, that in the kingdom there's no borders. There, there's one race. It's called the human race. Uh, the, there's no other side of the aisle because we're all in the aisle together. Are you following me? This is what the kingdom is. And for me, this has been a hard shift at times because I'm like, wow, what I've thought for the last 25 years, it's not kingdom thinking. And so how many are in that journey with me? It's like, it's not always fun, but man, on the other side, there's such a, a fulfillment to it. There's, there's such a, this is where I should be. And so that's what we do with this shift. So again, when we walk in divine love, we build up people, not structures. And so the apostle Peter deals with this in his second letter to the church. If we look at 2 Peter chapter 2, you know what I've noticed when you read the letters of the apostles you know, for Paul, he, he dealt a lot with the Judaizers, those who were trying to bring law and, and the ceremonial law and things like that back in. You know, Jesus is great. Jesus is good. But if you would add a little bit of the old with the new, oh, it would be just perfect, right? The apostle John, he dealt with the Gnostics, those who would say that, that sin doesn't really exist and, you know, Jesus really wasn't the Christ. And there was these different false doctrines that came in. And then for Peter, he would deal a lot with the Judaizers, but he also dealt with people who would come into the church and they would use God and Jesus talk, but then they would drag people into sin. And so he's addressing this right here in verse 19 of 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Hear what he's saying? We're slaves of corruption, slaves of sin. For people are always slaves to whatever masters them. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overpowered. The last state has become worse for them than the first. And I want us to follow his train of thought. He's talking about people who actually had waken up to this idea of the way of Jesus. They said, wow, the, the way that Jesus says to be and to live makes more sense to me. 
Now, they were in a Roman culture. They were occupied by the Romans. So it was a world system. It was, it was built on anger and, and death and war and greed and retribution. But on the other side, Jesus has his kingdom built on right relationship and peace and joy and grace and love and restoration. So it was a completely different way to see the world. So people were awakening to this, but in the midst of this, people would come in and drag them back into other things. And he says, it's even worse for you. Has that been true for you? Like all of a sudden when you do things, it just is like, man, I used to be okay with that, but now this is an issue for me. And so that's what he's addressing. In verse 21, he says, for it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the what is the words? Holy commandment that was passed on to them. Now, keep that in mind for a minute. Verse 22. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. Now, look at this. This is a good Jewish boy, Peter. Found Jesus, right? He's found the way of Jesus, but he's quoting from the Old Testament scriptures, and he says this. The dog turns back to its own vomit, and the sow or the pig is washed only to wallow in the mud. Dog vomit? And pig slop. Does that all make sense now? It's going back to something that you're used to. Something that you thought worked before when you've already turned to a new way of living. And Peter's addressing this. Now, what is this commandment that Peter's talking about? Well, if we look at the words of Jesus in John 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. What was Peter saying? He's saying, you guys found the way of love, but now you're going back to another way, that old structure, that old paradigm, that old way of thinking, and you're not walking in love anymore. Something I realized, whenever we fall into sin or we sin, it's the absence of love. If you don't love yourself and others, then you'll do things that hurt yourself and others. It's really simple. And that's why I don't preach really hard against your sin. What do you have a problem with? Okay, let's work on this. No, no, no. If I can get you to work on your identity and the fact that your whole identity is wrapped up foundationally in love, you will change what you do. That's how it works. I've experienced this in my own life. You know what? If I'm not loving enough, if, if that addiction seems to be coming up and I can't quite shake it, if I have anger issues and outbursts, I have to check where's my love level. And I'm not saying how much have you conjured up. I'm saying how much do I see of the love that's already there, that he's already given me. God is love, right? And if he resides in you, guess what you are? Love. But for most of us, we haven't woke up to that. We don't quite understand that, me included. So whenever you go through this process of life, this journey, and you find yourself lashing out or returning to old structures and saying things about people, becoming us and them mentality, because Jesus came to show us there's no us and them. The Apostle Paul said, no longer Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free, we're all the same in the kingdom, and we're all on this journey together. And your journey it might take this long to get to here, or it might take me that long to get there, but the Father's okay with that. But again, we have to say, where is my love walk? What do I understand about this? Look at this, verse 35, he says, but by this, by what? By love, walking out love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
Now listen, Jesus isn't saying that you aren't a disciple, okay? He says that people will know your disciple. There's a big difference. To me, this is a promise, it's not a threat. See, we can take verses, man, I was real good at this years ago, taking verses and basically threatening others because I didn't feel like I measured up myself. And so if you can threaten others enough and look down on them enough, then that attitude of superior, I'm doing pretty good because I don't do what they do, right? How many have been there, right? Don't raise your hand. We've all been there. But see, this is a promise. It's not a threat. It's not Jesus saying, you aren't my disciples. He's saying, no, no, people will know that you're my disciples. Now, the word disciple in the Greek actually means pupil, student, follower, now think about this. How many have kids that are in school? Now, would you say that, that your kid, if he's in ninth grade, that he has a little more knowledge and walks it out than when he was in kindergarten? Same with us. It's a journey. We're students of Jesus. And so we haven't arrived and we have some, some ways to go. And I would say this, that it's a lifelong journey of learning how to love. Right now, have you ever been though at a certain point where you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't react how I always react to those people. What is that? It's like the Holy Spirit says, it's love. You're walking out love in that situation. You're like, so cool. That's even better than dog vomit, right? I'm actually walking out this love walk. And so we have to realize that Jesus isn't questioning our discipleship. He's just saying, listen, you might be in kindergarten first grade, second grade, but listen, as you continue with me, following me, listening to me, listening to my words, the Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful sermon because it shows us what it looks like to actually live out the kingdom. But at the same time saying, you can't do it on your own, you need me to do this. And so what happens through this process is that as we grow and learn, we start to change, just like our, our kindergarten student who goes into ninth grade, there's something different about them now. Why? They have more knowledge, they're applying that, that's called wisdom, and they continue to grow. So he's not threatening the discipleship. He's saying they will know, the people will know. In fact, the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, he says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. What is it? That we should love one another. It's funny, when you talk a lot about love, I, I've had people come and say that love's really cool, but you got something more for me? I'm like, well, maybe get the love thing down first. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, not in a condescending way, but I mean, th this is the foundation of everything. I mean, the foundation of everything is love. That's what the kingdom is built on. He goes on in verse 18 to say, my children, our love should not be just words and talk. It must be true love, which shows itself in action. Now listen, folks, this isn't legalism. This is an automatic outflow of any person who says, Jesus, I trust you. I will listen to you. Holy Spirit, I will let you guide my life. Guess what will happen? You will start to live a life that's an outflow of love. So again, back to the ABV version of Proverbs 26. As a dog returns to his vomit, so an arrogant one returns to his costly ornamental building with no practical purpose, but built to satisfy a fancy or conceit. So here's a question. What can we do to start seeing these changes? Because a lot of times we're like, okay, well, then give us the list. What do we need to do? And it's a tough thing because grace doesn't mean we don't do anything. In fact, if you, if you truly understand grace and his love for you and you truly awaken to your identity, 
you will do things, but it comes from a different source. It comes from a different place. It's not out of obligation. Instead of a have to, it becomes a want to, a get to even. And it gets to the point where all you want to do is live the best life you can live and help others. And so that's what happens in the kingdom. So what do we do to start seeing these changes? Well, this might be a tough one, but, but start here. Spend time turning off the voices around you. For some of us, we might need to turn off the news channels. We might need to turn off the news. I don't care if it's CNN or Fox or, I don't know, I didn't even watch the news, so I don't know, but maybe we just need to turn off the news for a minute because they have their own agenda. All of them do. Okay? Maybe some of us need to take a break from social media. Talk about dog vomit and pig slop. Now, I've learned how to stay out of the toxicity, right? That, that's a tough thing to do. I used to get pulled into debates on politics and religion and other stuff. And, and now I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't even really care about that stuff. Uh, how, how am I loving others right now? Because here's what happens when it gets to the, the religious and political and social things. We start to build walls. We start to make borders. And the kingdom of God has no borders, has no walls. This isn't a political thing about Mexico, so don't, don't go there. I'm saying that there are no walls, there are no borders. There's no one who's better than the other. Everyone's accepted into the kingdom, and everyone's on a journey together helping each other. And the beauty of it is this, is when Jesus came, he came to expose the system of the world that created the us and the them. In fact, it says that he made an open show. He brought shame to the principalities and the powers. We get all spiritual about it. The principalities and powers at that time were Rome and the religious temple system. This is crazy. Do you know that King Herod, who was part of you know, the, the Jewish tribe, and Pontius Pilate, who was part of Rome, the occupying nation at the time, hated each other. But it says in the scriptures that they came together to crucify Jesus and after that became friends. And it goes so much deeper than that. I mean, at one point, the religious leaders say, we have no king but Caesar. What? I mean, that's like when religion really got into bed with politics, folks, with empire. And that's a scary place to be. But Jesus allowed those two systems to put him on a cross and to kill him. But that's why the resurrection is so beautiful. The resurrection is his answer. It's God's vindication say, the way you've been living, humanity, is wrong. I never built you to live a life of anger and retribution and hatred and war. It's a life of grace and love and peace and unity. And there are no borders. There are no walls. Mike and I were talking about this today. The, the, the disciples and the believers in the early church didn't die because they were telling people that if they prayed a 37-word prayer, they would go to heaven. I mean, there's like 17 or 18 gospel messages in Acts, and not one has to do with the afterlife. I want you to get this. They were being killed because they were challenging the systems of the world. They said, Jesus is the son of God. 
Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we say those and we're like, oh yeah, that's such a great spiritual term. No, those were the titles of the Caesar. They were political statements. So when the believers would talk to someone who, who was a Roman or served Rome, and they would say, so what is this you believe? Oh, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Whoa, whoa, dude, this is scary. That's the title of the Caesar. No, 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 Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, he's the Prince of Peace. No, 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 that, no, that is Caesar, the Prince of Peace. Even the coin said, peace through victory, which meant peace through war. We're bringing you peace. What does that mean? Well, if you don't go with what we say, we'll crucify you. But if you do, you can live and pay us taxes, and there's peace everywhere. Isn't that wonderful? That's the world's version of peace. Am I getting too historical for you? I want us to see that this movement that Jesus brought wasn't just spiritual. It was political. It was messing with people's minds. People were saying that we don't serve Caesar anymore. We serve Jesus and it's a different kingdom. And that's why people were being killed, dragged out, of, dragged out of their homes, fed the lions, because they were challenging the religious and the political system. And I think for us sometimes in the church in America, we have to be careful because sometimes if we're not careful, listen to me, I've been there, we'll get in the bed with the religious and the political systems without even realizing it and then use scripture verses to back it up. Where are we from? We are from the kingdom of God, which operates in love. Can you see this this morning? So spend time turning off the voices around you and start listening to the voice within you, the voice of the divine, the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's there. He's wooing you with love to go another way in this life. We could sum it up like this. Run every thought and action through the lens of the greatest commandment, love. I'm going to wrap up in Matthew chapter 11. I love these words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And what does he say he'll give us? Rest. Now, this is a beautiful statement to people then and to us here and now. He's saying, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. Are you carrying this heavy burden of this structure, of this beautiful ornamental building that really has no purpose? He's saying, lay those things down. Why? Because I want you to get a rest. You need a rest from the systems of this world. He goes in verse 29, he goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Why does he want you to take his yoke upon you? so that you'll find rest for your soul. And the Message Bible says a real rest for your soul. Now, now let me just say something here. It's a little historical, but I want you to get this. How many know what a yoke is? Well, in this time, a yoke was also the teaching of a rabbi. So you had different rabbis with different ways of interpreting scripture. And so these rabbis, you would choose to put their yoke upon you. In other words, I follow the teaching of rabbi so-and-so. Oh, well, I follow the teaching of Rabbi so-and-so. And Jesus is saying, will you follow the teaching of Rabbi Jesus? Because if you do, it will bring a rest 
to your souls. You know, the rabbis would always look at the, the Old Testament scriptures and they would just break them apart. I was talking to Teresa today about this, that they actually refer to scripture as a gem, many faceted gem. And what they would do is they would just, I mean, they would deliberate and even argue, but at the end, of course, they were still friends about what it meant. And they would just exhaust everything in that scripture they could find. And they, then they would not just stop there, they would turn the gem and see another facet of the same scripture. And so this is what rabbis did. And so when Jesus came, if you read through the scriptures, don't go to it with the 21st century idea. Go to it with the first century idea. Jesus would come and he would quote Old Testament scripture, but he would actually give a different interpretation. And one thing Jesus did, he would always leave violence and retribution out. Like when he quoted Isaiah, he didn't go to the vengeance is mine, the Lord says. He stops, folds up the scroll, and sits down. And shortly after that, they tried to kill him. Because the world's way, which crept into the temple system, which has crept into the church, is violence and retribution. And Jesus is like, nope. It's peace and it's love. I often say this, I think the 60s people started to get it, minus the psychedelic stuff, right? Because it is a kingdom that's built on peace and love. And so when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he was literally saying, take my yoke upon you because my interpretation of scripture is the right way. And if you do, you'll find the real rest for your soul. He goes on in verse 30 to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not that there isn't a yoke, but he's saying, listen, when you yoke up with me, when you look into my interpretation of the old covenant, the, the prophets in the law. When you hook up and you understand what I'm sharing with you, my yoke, it's going to be so much easier. You'll start to get what it means to be more human. And he says, my burden is light. There's still a burden, folks, but it's light. And you know what I found the burden to be? People. L look at the life of Jesus. He empathized with people. He sat with people who were broken and hurting and looking for a new way of life. When's the last time we've sat down with somebody who, who has a different lifestyle or comes from a different background and actually said, I will take time to hear your story, to empathize with you, and then do what the scripture said. It's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. Repentance, metanoia in the Greek, means to change your minds. That's what, what we're supposed to woo people to through love. It says, speak the truth in love. Not in your political way or your religious way or your social way. Speak it in love because that's the kingdom way. What would happen if we operated like Jesus as followers and peoples? And let, let me tell you something. This isn't legalism. This is the easiest way to live life, man. When, when, when all of a sudden there's no more lines or borders and you see people for who they truly are, sons and daughters of God, everything changes in fact, when Jesus said, love your enemy, I used to struggle with that. How can I love my enemy? Because when you actually start to walk in love, people are no longer your enemies. You don't have any anymore. You realize they've lost their identity. That's why they're acting like a fool. That's why they're acting crazy. No, don't tell them that, okay? I know why you're a fool now. <laughs> That's not love, probably. But it helps you awaken to that you see things differently. There's such freedom and fulfillment when we walk according to our design and our nature. And this is what it comes down to. We are built in, through, 
and for love as human beings. That's our purpose, to love. Did you receive that this morning? Dog vomit and pig slop. Let's not go back. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.